Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. You know, from time to time, I I enjoy watching uh, these shows like National Geographic kind of shows, you know. And, um, And when he was still alive, like Steve Irwin... Does anybody know, like the crocodile hunter? He, w- he was amazing at this, right? Like he would just draw you in and it would be something like, you know, it, it would be something like he's after like the most poisonous animals in the world, right? And, and he, he, would be, he would be going about and, 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 and he, would, he'd be, he, he would say stuff like, just, just an ounce of this poison would kill a man, you know, or something. Uh, but his accent was way better than mine. And, and then he would like crawl under stuff, you know, looking for this very poisonous animal, you know, like a snake or a spider, you know, and, and, and then he'd be like, now don't try this at home. And then, and then he, he would like get face to face this this here, you know, if, if, if you were to be bitten, this would be bad news. You'd probably be dead or something. And I'm just thinking, as I'm watching stuff like this, like, then what are you doing? You're holding poison by the tail. Like, that's bad. You don't do that. You don't play with poison. I mean, if I were to get up every morning and... and make pancakes for my children or French toast, right? I'm not going to go underneath the counter where our sink is. I'm not going to go underneath of there. You all have a cabinet like that, right? You go underneath and you never know what's quite under there. But for us anyway, we, we hold all of our major cleaning supplies. And on many of these cleaning supplies, right, there's, uh, there's like these poison. Like these skull and crossbones kind of stuff, like if swallowed, like try and throw up immediately kind of stuff, right? Or call this 1-800 number or 911. If I made pancakes or, or uh, French toast for my kids every morning, I'm not going underneath of there and to get some Comet or some Ajax and be like sprinkling that stuff on. Why? Because it's poison. It would be bad. I mean, even if I just sprinkled a little, is that okay? Of course not. Of course it's not okay. If I went home tonight and decided that uh, I was just going to make one of those nice warm pans of brownies, right? And by the way, if you ever invite me over to your house and you want brownies, I will come. I just want you to know that I want the middle piece. Okay, I, I want the middle piece, because that's like the softest, gooeyest part. I don't want the edges that are crunchy. I want the gooeyness in the middle. But what if you were to take that gooey centerpiece and just sprinkle a little bit with Comet or Ajax? No thanks. I don't want, well, because why? It's poison. I don't want that stuff. That's, that's bad for me. Eventually, if I did that day after day, even an ounce at a time, I know what that's going to do to me. My heart is going to stop beating. I'm going to die. The problem is that some of us are sprinkling Ajax over our marriages. The problem is that some of us have 
have poisonous uh, attributes that we're continually doing. Every morning we get up and it's a part of our regular marriage routine. It's part of how we communicate. And, and, and we need to realize, number one, that there's a poison there. We have to say, I, we're not going to ingest any more poison. Because we recognize that just an ounce of poison is a bad thing. And we need to say, look, look, as Christians, my marriage counts enough for me not to have to go under the counter, counter and sprinkle that stuff on. I don't want to ingest that anymore. There is a poison in your marriages. And the poison has a name. And the name is content. I despise you. You see, there's, there's two opposites when it comes to our marriage relationship. There is uh, uh, the poison on one side, and that's the Ajax, right? That's content. It says, I dishonor you. I, I, I think of you less than I think of me. If you could only be more of what I want you to be, everything would be fine. Contempt is saying, I see you as below me. I'm setting the standard for what this relationship ought to be. And since you're not meeting it, I'm not sure that I like you. I can't stand you. I don't want to be near you. I don't want you to touch me. On the other side is honor. Honor says, I think of you higher than I think of myself. I think of you with great respect and great love. I want to learn from you and be around you and be sharpened by you. But if all we're doing is sprinkling a little bit of contempt into our marriages, then we're playing with a dangerous poison. This morning, I want you to hear a little bit about what that kind of contempt sounds like. Watch this. The thing with our uh, story is, you know, we were married very young. Uh, we got married at uh, 19 and 20, and we were each other's first serious relationship. So we just didn't know how to communicate. And that, over a lot of years, developed into what became our bigger issues. Um, it was just a slow fade, I, I would say. Um, it started out like a normal marriage. We just stopped communicating and we became more business partners instead of marriage partners. And I would say that was the beginning of the end and it just slowly got worse and worse and um, stopped communicating, fighting all the time. Little things turned into big things. And right after our 12th anniversary is when we separated. Um, she started talking about wanting to separate in, a, in about that 2010-2011, and uh, finally in 2013, uh, it was July 1st, is when we really sat down and she just told me flat out, you know, I can either stay with you and resent you forever, or you can move out, we can try the separation and hope to save our marriage. I was very angry with him. I was resentful that we had started a business and we're having money issues. I was resentful because he was never home, and I was resentful because I thought he put the business above our family. And I got to the point where I literally hated him. I couldn't stand to be in the same room. 
couldn't stand when he touched me. I didn't like when he talked to me. I didn't like when he looked at me. We did not like each other. It, it, was, it was very toxic. And do you hear that? It was toxic. There was a poison, a content. I don't want you near me. I don't want you anywhere around me. I, I hate you. I hate everything to do with you. I resent every part of ever knowing you. It's, it's absolute, total contempt. And if we're not careful, we'll take ounces of this and sprinkle it all over our marriage. So, how is it this morning that we'll, we, we will make sure to detoxify our marriages? What is it that we're going to do this morning that, uh, that's going to ensure that we're not sprinkling poison, we're not ingesting ounces of poison every single day into our marriages? And actually, a king is going to point us in the right direction. He's actually going to give us something of a negative example, but, uh, but King David, the king of all of Israel, is going to give us an example of something to really not do. You see, he, he has been uh, the king for a short time, and he has wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant is like a God box. Now, you and I know that God is way bigger than a box, but for ancient Israel, this was uh, symptomatic. It was an image of God's presence. And David had messed things up before, but this time he gets it right. And, and here comes the Ark of the Covenant. Here comes the, the very image of God's presence entering into Jerusalem. I mean, this is going to be a great, fantastic, wonderful, outstanding day. Now, this day couldn't get any better. This is a day of absolute national celebration. And it's in the midst of that kind of context uh, where we see this poison in David's own relationship with his wife. Uh, this morning, what I want you to hear, what I want you to see beyond a shadow of a doubt is I want you to understand the clarity of, of how clearly the poison of contempt can kill your marriage. I want you to, I want you to really grasp how dangerous contempt is. And then I also want you to see how you can detoxify. If contempt is part of your marriage, if you have introduced this poison into your relationship, then I want you to be able to, to walk away saying, hey, I, I have some handles on, on how I might uh, get rid of the poison that has been infecting my marriage. Because I will tell you this, if you allow content to hang around, the heart of your relationship will eventually stop beating. So will you join me in 2 Samuel this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6. After 1 Samuel and before 1 Kings, 2 Samuel Chapter 6. 
It's absolutely clear. It's undeniable. It's unhidden. It's no secret. If contempt is a part of your marriage, hard times are coming. Begin with me, would you, in verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, that's Jerusalem, uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she, and here it is, she despised him in her heart. That word of despising, that's the word of contempt. She held him less than herself. I mean, here in this fantastic, uh, amazing, wonderful day, uh, there is McCall. Somehow, maybe she has an elevated view of everything that's going on. Uh, For some reason, she's not in the celebration. She is not with her husband. Uh, She merely sees and looks down, and she despises him. And the greatest day that could have been the greatest day of their marriage, a day that they would come back years later and go, you remember that day? You remember that day that we brought the ark in? You remember that day and how everybody was celebrating and everybody was on the same page? Instead of being there with him, she despises him in her heart. She has great contempt for him. She's not there. And instead, she decides she's going to look down upon all that David is doing. Evidently, he has stripped himself while he is dancing and leaping. He's probably in something of an ephod. It's kind of a, if you go to foreign cultures, even today, many times they'll, they'll wear something of an ephod. Uh, it's, it's, it's just basically a, a skirt of sorts. She's a little unhappy. Even on a day that's meant for celebration, she despises him in her heart. And so David brings in the Ark of the Covenant. And everything's going well, and he's dancing, and he's just exuberant before God, and he's celebrating the presence of God in the holy city. And, and, and not only does he do that, he, he comes in, and some, some scholars say that of this very scene with David, that he, it's an actual coronation ceremony, but not for David, but for God. That David was trying to say to God, you're the king of all of Israel, and so he stops and he offers sacrifice before the Lord twice. And he, and he makes sure that God knows of the kind of gratitude that he has for who God is and all God has been doing. And then after that, uh, he, he makes sure, the text tells us, uh, that he a- offers up a blessing to the entire nation. Everybody who's there uh, gets something. And he offers up a prayer in the name of the Lord God Almighty. He offers up a blessing upon all the people who happen to be there. And then he gives them a gift. He gives them some bread and he he gives them some raisins and he gives them some date cakes. Anybody like those little, uh, what do you call those, those Mexican hats? We, We used to call them. They have like dates in the middle. Oh, they're so good. He hands out a bunch of cookies. 
And everybody goes home and everybody else is satisfied. And it's after this, the text tells us that David moves from that place after offering all of these blessings to God and to the people of Jerusalem. He offers up all these blessings and his intent is to walk into his house and offer up blessings on his home. Move with me down to verse 20. Notice the content. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said this, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. I imagine McCall in this scene, David comes back, he's got this smile on his face, his chest is lifted out, he's like, yes! I mean, this is like the post-game, and he's going home, and he's excited. I mean, God is in the presence of all of Israel, and God is king, and and he is his servant, and everything's going to be good, and he's blessed God, and he's blessed the people, and he's going home to bless his wife. And there she is. And her arms are crossed, and her eyes are crossed, and she is ready, and she's tapping that foot. I saw you out there. Mm-hmm. I saw those slave girls looking at you. What did you think you were doing out there today anyway, David? And she shows absolute contempt for who David is. As I began to think about this, I began to think about some some instances in which I I feel pretty good about myself as a husband. Husbands, do you ever feel good about yourself as a husband? Like you do something that maybe is a little out of the ordinary, and and you're kind of like feeling like David right now. I mean, now granted, you didn't, didn't just bring the Ark of the Covenant in, all right? But but you feel pretty good about things. Like maybe you Maybe you like put the dishes in the dishwasher and started it. On the same day. Yeah, same day, man. Like, like maybe, maybe, maybe uh, you, you know, you, you saw the dirty clothes hamper and you thought, you know, I bet I can do that. And you figured it out all on your own. Uh, very recently, uh, Jolyn, she was working late, and I came home, and there was the kids, and, and uh, there was no apparent plan for dinner, and I thought, oh, I, I am going to be like the husband of the year, and so, you know, I got dinner all ready, and it's all on the table, and it's like done, and the kids are, and I was like, all we have to do is wait for mom to get home, and isn't she going to be impressed? You ever had those moments, guys? <laughs> okay, so some of you have those moments.
But there I was in that moment. Now, now if Jolyn had come home and she'd said something like this, if she had said, what? No vegetables? She might as well have taken a pin and gone, me, and popped my balloon. Because that's what content will do. Here comes David, and he is full of the world, and he has blessed God, and he has blessed the people, and everything's going well. And he's like, man, I, I, have, I, I have been a part of all of this. I can't wait to go home and, and bless my home. And there's McCall, and she just introduces an ounce of poison, and she sprinkles it all over, and, and David recognizes the poison that she's ingested. And I wish I could say that, that David, the wonderful servant of God, uh, comes back and prays and, and takes a moment. And, 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 and before he, he returns contempt for contempt, uh, you know, that he, sh he does something really righteous and holy, but he doesn't. No, he's mad. And what you find is that oftentimes contempt is returned with contempt. You poison me, I'm going to poison you back. But I'm going to try and make it double. You want to make sure that you understand that I am below you? I'm going to make sure that you know that you are below me. And that's exactly the kind of contempt that David returns. Look at verse 21. David said to McCall, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your dad, your father, or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and, and will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Oh yeah, McCall? You remember your dad? How holy was he, McCall? He didn't get to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. God didn't choose him, did he? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I know all about you and all of your past, McCall. I know who you were. You think you're something because you were Saul's daughter? Let me tell you. You're below me. God chose me, and he didn't even choose your dad. On oh, those slave girls? Oh, next time? Next time, McCall, I'm going to show them even a little more than what you saw today. And they will hold me in honor. And David returns content for content. He doesn't say, I honor you. He doesn't say, I respect you. He doesn't say, I love you. No, 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 no. He, he returns the poison in return. And I want you to notice where this all results. The result of all of this is that McCall doesn't have children, but I want you to notice how the text says it. Look at with me in verse 23. And McCall, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. McCall 
the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now some suggest here that the McCall doesn't have children because God closed her womb. Oftentimes when the Bible talks about women who, who are unable to conceive, are unable to conceive because God wills it to be, uh, it will say something to the effect like God closed her womb. In other words, God had ordained that she wouldn't have children. But that's not what this passage says. The sense is this. That from that moment on, they failed to be together. In the moment of great contempt for one another, in a moment when they had failed to honor one another, they had fed each other this poison. They had fed each other some Ajax on their pancakes. It killed their marriage. The poison of contempt resulted that they never came back together again. So I want to ask you this morning, what are the areas of contempt that you use with your spouse in those special relationships with your loved one? What poison do you use that you enter into in that relationship that you have with your husband or your wife? Do, do you nag? Oh, men and women can both nag. Do you understand what nagging is? Nagging is not just a simple reminder three times. Hey, did you remember this? Did you remember? No, that... that that in and of itself is not nagging. Do you know what nagging really is? Nagging is when you begin to say, uh, not only, hey, did you do this? And why didn't you do it this way? And oh, did you think about this? And nagging is a sense that says, I'm going to keep reminding you about something that you already know because until you come to see it my way, I'm going to communicate to you that I distrust you. I want to remove any value from you because what you need to see is that the highest value is standing right in front of you. And until you see things and do things the way I think that you ought to do them, I am going to remind you about it. That's nagging. And nagging communicates an entirety of distrust. Have you ever noticed how powerful our mouth is in our marriage? And we communicate with our eyes and with our bodies and with our mouths contempt. If you want to kill your marriage, go right ahead. Keep nagging. Keep, keep communicating that you don't trust them. Maybe this one works for you. I'm going to remind you about your past relationships. Oh, that girl you used to date, that guy before me. I'm gonna remind you of all your past failed relationships and I'm gonna do it regularly. 
And I'm going to do it to make sure, not that I honor you, but I'm going to do that in order so that you know that you're just a little worse than I am. You're just a little worse of a sinner than me. Oh, I'm a sinner, but not near as bad as you are because look at all those past failures that you have. And if you've been married any time at all, probably a year or longer, you recognize that you have, you know all the tender areas in their life, don't you? You see, you have those big red buttons. And when the time is just right, you can take out and you can go, oh yeah, and I'm going to push it. And I'm going to push that button of failed relationships that you have in your past. And I'm going to remind you that you're still underneath of me. Oh, how about this one? Yeah, you're okay, but you're never what my dad or my mom is. I guess you're, you're okay, but my dad was a real man. Someday you might be like him. Someday you might meet the great pinnacle of who my mom is. How about this one? You just keep comparing them with someone else. Oh, you know what? Why don't you why aren't you more like so and so? You know, if you were more like, then I would be happy. But since you're not, I am doomed. Do you feel the poison? Uh, Maybe for you, it's just beginning comments consistently like, well, why is it that you always? How come you never? And some of you don't even need words. Some of you, it's an eye roll. It's a grunt. And it's a walking out of the room. Do you know that poison? Because I can guarantee you this. We shouldn't be surprised that if your marriage is filled with contempt... It's headed to the same place that McCall and David's marriage is heading, where you never come back together. So I had to ask myself this question this week, well, what would have saved this marriage? If I could have sat down with David and McCall and been like, hey, hey, come on, let's talk about this. What, what can save us? What can detoxify our marriages from a really dangerous, damaging poison? What will save it? And I know this is simple, and I know you probably sat in church before, but, but sometimes the simple thing is most profound. You have to make God part of your marriage. Can I just say that you, you have to make Jesus a part of who you are as a couple. When I, when I sit with... Uh, People in marriage counseling, I often say, you know, it's kind of like a triangle. 
There's the two of you, and then there's God. And if there is some sort of contempt, is there a, if there's a poison, if there's a bitterness, if there's, if there's a resentment that has the two of you separated like this, then what you desperately need is a vision to be able to come to God together. Because as you come toward the top of the triangle, guess what happens? You're going to get closer together. I have this thing, it's a plaque, I, I, someone gave it to me probably as a wedding gift, I appreciate it. It hangs just above uh, my bed in my bedroom. And the top of it just simply says, marriage takes three. Look, if you're going to overcome and detoxify from, from all of the, the, the bitterness and the resentment and the contempt and the despising uh, that constantly or, or may be sprinkled into your marriage, if you want to uh, avoid that kind of poison, then you have to allow yourself to make God part of your marriage. Because you know what? When you come face to face with God, there's no faking it. When you're praying to God, there's no like, well, God, you know, uh, I didn't really do wrong. No, if you're honest before the, the throne of, of the God of the universe, then you have to come face to face with yourself. And if you're going to come face to face with yourself before the God of the universe, there is no other way other than to go, okay, I need to get rid of this poison. I need to try and respond, not with dishonor, but with honor. I need to try and hold him and hold her above myself. I want you to hear a little bit about what, what it might look like if your marriage is in a tough spot and poison has been a part of it. I want you to hear what it might look like when God is a part of your marriage. Take a look. I, I just wanted a divorce. I had no intention of getting back together with Jerry, but I knew the only way to get him to move out was to say, yes, it's a separation. I was fully expecting to file for divorce after Christmas. After we separated, I decided, I might I mean, I've tried everything else. We've tried counseling, we've tried doing it on our own, but we've never actually brought God into our marriage. And I said, I'm gonna, we're gonna try that this time. I remember one evening after devotions, I was praying and I, and I told God, I said, I want a divorce. I don't want to be married to Jerry. And I said, if, if I'm supposed to stay married to Jerry, then you have to change my heart. And I very clearly remember that conversation with God. And he did, he changed my heart because I'm as surprised as anyone that we did not get a divorce. <laughs> I think, you know, some of the best advice we got from our counselor was, you know, from that moment on, we were going to have a new relationship, whether it was together or with someone else, and we weren't fixing anything that we had. We weren't fixing the previous 12, 13 years. We were building a brand new relationship, and so that's really what we focused on was, you know, just, you know, redating and, you know, basically like we're starting over again. Um, we've never, as a couple, really had God involved in our, our intimate marriage. Um, but that's one thing I've really learned that is missing. And so it continues to be something that we're working on. I would say that's probably the thing that is, is kind of a struggle to learn how to do. Yeah, I think we've figured out how to personally have a relationship individually with God. But like Jerry said, 
that it is difficult to be open and vulnerable with with that personal relationship with Jerry, if that makes sense, because we've never done it before. And that's something we've talked about, and that's something we are working on. For me, it's the, the future is not only the legacy that we can leave for our kids, but you know, I've developed a passion for helping people that are in the same place we are. I don't recognize that, you know, their marriage not, may not be as good as, you know, what what they seem. You know, I know just from my own experience, most of the time, the guy doesn't know it's it's as bad as it is until she's checked out and ready to walk out the door. And by then, you know, once they've checked out, it's difficult to come back. So, you know, I would love to be able to help other men see this before it's too late. I'm asking you to, today to think about removing a poison and to detoxify your marriage. To say, I'm not going to live in contempt any longer, and I'm going to do that by placing Jesus at the very center of my marriage relationship. If you want an avenue to be able to do that in an intentional way, would you mark your calendars for May 17th? May 17th, we're going to do a a simulcast here at the church, um, and it's it's a night for marriage. It's a night for you to invest in your marriage uh, so that you can be a part of allowing your marriage to be with Jesus. It's going to cost you 30 bucks. So would you, would you think about detoxifying your marriage? Coming to the conference and saying, you know what, I I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what I'm going to hear, but I am committed to this. I know that Jesus needs to be the head of my marriage. And I need to detoxify any level of contempt. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And I pray for all of us, all of us who are married or are not married but want to be someday, Lord, that we would be learning, that you would detoxify our marriages, that you would help us to have attitudes of honor instead of dishonor, Lord, that we would love instead of have contempt. Lord, I pray that you will lead us and guide us, and Lord, that we'll be honest with you and with our spouse. Lord, we love you. Help us to serve you well. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me?